This is Episode 5, Part 2, Becoming the Photographer. It's the moments that I'm grounded that inspire me. It's curiosity that drives me. The rainbow falls below me, the pattern that is made with the rock and the melting snow. The mountains threaten and invite. The harsh contrast of granite, the gnarled wood finding home in cracks, the life that persists. All are my teachers, my poetry. Nature has given me grace, given me a glimpse into her world. Photography is my reason to experience. My journey is my art. Welcome to part two of my interview with artist extraordinaire Nat Magnuson. I'm Stephen Levitt, and you're listening to the Language of Creativity podcast. I mean, you kind of have become a bit of a nomad, I think. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you bounce around and you don't really have a place to call home in particular, but you seem to definitely embody the idea of the road trip nation (laughs) mindset. I mentioned that book again. Well, so so road trip nation is not about the road trip. Road trip nation is about the culmination of what success is and how uh, normal jobs and our normal idea of success is not a current reality. So what is success and what Road Trip Nation is, is about interviewing people that are successful in their own fields and finding out what their roadmap is. And what you find out is everybody has their own road trip. Everybody has their own journey that they go on to create what success is for them. And what Road Trip Nation has done is accumulated a body of work so that if there's certain directions you're going, you at least know what questions to ask yourself and the random things that you are good at that may actually be an asset, which is seemingly what I'm finding up in the Skagit Valley is uh, my photography, my carpentry, my music, my love of the outdoors, my love of space. You know, you can bring all of those things together to, to be success. You can bring those together to, to be what your career is. It takes creativity to see something that doesn't exist yet, or to take something that exists and see that it could be different or or, or to trust yourself for something that is going to feel a certain way, or you trust yourself because it feels a certain way, but you don't actually have the reason for it. You can't explain it to other people. Yeah, you just know that you want to do something and you don't have to explain it or justify it. You just go for it. And I think that's the true, I think the true artist knows when something is a calling in a direction and you know it before (laughs) anybody else knows it. So people are looking at you going like, you're crazy. Why would you do that? But then a few years down the line, they're like, how do I copy it? uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think that you don't always know when you're doing it or when you're starting out in life, you don't always know how they're all going to fit together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell me more about your photography. Oh boy. 
Um, and this, we can go long on this. We can take okay. a roundabout way because that's uh, how your photography works. <laughs> you know, people have asked me recently, how long have you been a photographer? Well, okay, so it depends on what your definition of photographer are because uh, me and all my photography friends, associates, would say, I, I dream of being a photographer someday. <laughs> but I have been a photographer since fifth grade. So, like, when was the first time you picked up a camera? I picked up my mom's 110 camera. At least I think that's what it was. It had the rotating flash. And we went to Mesa Verde in Colorado. And for those who have not been, it is the dwellings in the cliffs. It can rain. It can do whatever it wants to. But you are underneath the cliff so you are not getting the weather in the same regard and it was a decent civilization that is just stunning and beautiful to go and visit so you're at mesa verde you're at this beautiful place and your mom hands you a camera or do you take it from her what um how do you what do you remember i don't know that i do remember i just was taking pictures it is it is uh uh it is one of those things that it was just something I was doing. I remember more the Dodge Ram van uh, that was white with a blue stripe and the bench seats uh, with grandma and grandpa. And we took this road trip. That's more what I remember. But I do have this big collection of photos because um, it was interesting. And uh, when you've done something for a long time, you may have fallen out of love with it. And I definitely fell out of love uh, with photography. But what has reclaimed photography for me was the realization uh, that the thing I love about photography is the curiosity. It's searching after something that you've not seen before, an angle, an insect, a flower, a sunset, and and, you know, like... As you progress within your photography or within your art, your relationship to it changes. But I do find that the moments that I am part of are the reason that I love photography. You took pictures in and out through high school, junior high, whatever? Um, took another trip through the Air and Space Museum for a couple of days. Took a lot of pictures of airplanes. And then in high school, I was a head photographer, sophomore, junior, senior year, uh, assistant editor, head editor, uh, senior year. Um, then I went to... Wait, let's go back. So, like, what did it feel like when you got the prints back? Do you remember? Because obviously, you know, for those millennials, <laughs> the cameras didn't always have screens. You used to have to uh, shoot you, film. You take a picture and the moment's done. You already took the picture. Now it's on to the next thing. You don't get to look at it. You don't get to review it. You don't get to have the idea that, oh, I should take another one or, hey, I should do it from this angle. No, you take the picture and then you move on because that's all it is. And so the moment that you become the photographer is not always the moment that you take the picture. The moment you become the photographer is either the moment before the photo is taken where you are being curious and going for the photo, or it's the moment where you look at the print or you look at the slide and you're like, oh, 
man, everything came together. Wow, that's a really good photo. But in my case, I was still discovering what photography was. And so I would say the moment that I really became a photographer was not when I said, wow, what a picture. It was when everybody else says, man, that's a great photo. And you're like, <laughs> I took a good photo. I was in a space and I conveyed that into a medium that people appreciated. I like that experience. So when your experience of that time and place was translatable for someone else. Yeah. And this, and this is where photography is kind of a funny one. I've been on a journey of this in the last couple of years, but, um, you know, you hold on to your art because it's mine, because it's my experience. Um, and I think that that is, is good to a point up until your body of work is big enough that you actually have a story to tell. And once you have that story to tell, for me, I don't know that the photos are, are mine anymore. Hmm. They need to get out there because they're, they're ready to speak for themselves and they're ready to become part of something else. It was the moment that was mine. Hmm. I am the medium to tell that story, but they become their own. Okay, so then in high school, you go to photojournalism class. You're doing your book. And <laughs> not, not a class. It was a job. Oh, really? Yeah. So this is your first job as a photographer, as a photojournalist. Uh, I don't know that I ever got paid uh, taking the pictures. Well, that sounds about right. For, I heard it for an artistic job. <laughs> I, I got, don't know if I, I get paid. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I got paid for the hours that I was editing the pictures. Right, right, <laughs> which, which is sort of love-hate relationship, right? <laughs> um, so, okay, and then at what point did you realize you wanted to go to college for photography? Sorry, I have inside knowledge. Uh, to, to finish, let's let's keep this narration going. Let's tell the story of the people who who don't know Nat. Um, <laughs> uh, so your inside knowledge, I'm not sure which is which is uh, directing us to to something. I would I would say the other part that we missed on the way here was um, uh, my dad always wanted to be a photographer. Um, um, I don't think I knew that. Uh, his. Uh, life goal as a photographer was to get on the mag- uh, uh, the front of a magazine cover. Um, he accomplished that with a picture of a dogwood tree and I was his assistant. We crumpled up tinfoil and then we spread it back out so that it was not just a directional light, that it had multiple layers, uh, multiple oh, directions no on it. And then what I did was I put that directly behind the dogwood and aimed it down so that all of the light from the ground reflected as black behind the dogwood. Uh, and they're a beautiful pink flower. And it was just a stunning image. And, you know, it was his highlight as a photographer. Um, he had a job that he worked all of the time, but he always wanted to be creative. Your dad was, uh, what was his job? He was a dentist. 
Okay, so a dentist who wanted to be a photographer. Or a farmer, but, you know, his dad told him there was no money in farming, which is accurate, <laughs> un- until <laughs> until you make money as a, as a farmer. Which is probably accurate <laughs> as a photographer as well. <laughs> uh, well, you know, like, and this would be the part where people fall out of love of things, is when you start making money, you may not be making art. Um, uh, unless you are very careful on how you create um how you create, it can get away from itself. And people's idea of what you are supposed to do, if that comes before your idea of what you're supposed to do, you may say yes to things you're not comfortable to. I ended up doing way more for way less within photography than I ever anticipated, and it just was no longer fun. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that with music. And I think you, at some point you, you do um, have the tendency to lose yourself when you're trying to chase a dollar and attach that to your work. You end up starting to have to make work based on what you might project as other people's idea of value on your skill. And then it stops being yours. Right. I found my love of photography, I would say two part, is uh, the amount of my friends who got cameras really nice cameras as they were learning and as they were excited about it that excitement carried back over to my initial feelings of photography being like i get to get out and i get to convey something and i get to experience something and all of these great things are coming together and then two part is uh i went up to tahoe and i was wandering and uh, i came along this road and the sun was coming over the edge of a mountain and it was shining on these rocks in the middle of the river which were covered in snow and it was just gorgeous because it was dark blues and dark greens and white so bright white and i kind of wandered down there should have had snowshoes kept punching through the snow and and working my way up there and and you know i had a old pop out bellows camera 1950s give or take and um I'm shooting a couple pictures and I'm like, wow, this place is really cool. And then I hear, wah, wah, wah. and it was a whole uh, um, gaggle of geese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Canadian geese, they were flying up the river. And, wow. and, and it clicked. I am in a place where there is a shaft of light coming down and those geese are going to fly through it. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, no, really? Oh my goodness. So really it's that fast. I look down at the camera. I change my exposure. I look up, I see them coming in and I click I got the moment. Unfortunately, it's the wrong camera. (laughs) It's a landscape camera, not intended. But the moment was captured, not in the clarity I wanted, but what the clarity was, was in my mind. It was like, oh, I have the ability to anticipate what moments are. I get to participate in moments. And... If I am in the right place in the right moment, I can convey something to people that will make their day better. They'll make their experience better. And I would say within my photography, where that has carried over is I try not to take 
pictures that always have a subject matter that requires your attention. I want you to relax into the photo. I want it to participate with what is around and to be part of the space. Um, like a magic eye. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing like a magic eye, but I just had to, <laughs> had to throw that in. No, okay. So you were going to ask me about my history within photography and you were going well, somewhere. Well, I'm absolutely going somewhere. And I think you're you're taking some nice little vignettes along the way, which I think is very much your style. And I, I feel very comfortable <laughs> with it. Um, so what what reminded me of that moment is, is that, you know, would you, would you say that um, as you're adding to your knowledge uh of your of of cameras as a as a technician exposure um iso settings and things like that you know can, photography strikes me as one of those things a lot like sound engineering where there's an art to it but there's also a technical side and so your ability to grab that moment and make it work at a split second has to do with your ability to operate your camera which adds a whole nother layer to photography that seems i it seems technical. <laughs> well, the goal of the technical is is to learn it so that you can forget about it. Um, okay, so you're shooting these geese, and they fly overhead, and um, you, you, you grab the moment you have the wrong camera. Yeah, but I take the picture. Do I know that I didn't capture it? When do I know that I didn't capture it? The point of photography was for me to get there, for all the elements to come together, for my curiosity and my technical knowledge to be all right at the right time. And I clicked the shutter at the right time. I was there. In my mind, that was a successful photo. The only problem was is once it got developed. <laughs> <laughs> the exposure is fine. So, so you're, you're also an avid backpacker and yes. um, that plays into your, your enjoyment of photography, does it not? Right. And I would also say that the context and the story that goes with the photo is what makes the photo backpacking. Uh, it's about, it's about being someplace that doesn't know you're there. It's about being someplace that nobody else is or experiencing something that is yours. You know, like it's, it's kind of funny that the disregard of nature uh, uh, for you is also your ability to now be part of and to struggle against and to find your peace with. Uh, I would say the struggle within a harsh environment is a lot of times paralleling the internal struggle. And the great thing is, is the sky and the colors. Uh, once you go through the struggles and, and once the clouds clear and the sun comes down, it's a very spiritual place. Talk to me more about color. You've mentioned color a lot, and so that's obviously a very <laughs> important part of your awareness. Um, and you, I, you and I have talked about you wanting to study color therapy. Even. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like when you go to a, not to go dark, but when you go to a funeral, you wear dark colors. 
right? I mean, that's a society norm. When you go to the beach, you wear bright colors. Do you think about it or do you just do it? Do you do it because everybody else is doing it? Or are there more psychological reasons for that? Or is there something that um, those colors help achieve? Bright colors help lift your body and your spirits to do certain things. You know, you wear the black colors at the funeral because it's a reflective time. It's a time for mourning. It's a time for solemnness. And, and you don't want the colors to draw attention to you when the funeral's not about you. Right. You are participating in the funeral. You are participating in the grief that is shared by all. Um, bright colors uh, can be a very individualistic thing, but if you wear the colors that match your surroundings, no longer are you wearing bright colors. So say that you go out uh, in nature and you wear tans and browns and greens, you can just blend into the background. You can now be part of, which means that you sit down on a log and the birds come up and they sit down right next to you and the deer kind of walk by. And if you're not making quick movements and you kind of blend in, they may not see you or they may not care. (laughs) You wear a bright color backpacking and the hummingbird may fly from the other side of the valley straight at you because you (laughs) must be sweet. (laughs) I suppose maybe that psychology exists in dating as well. (laughs) (laughs) I believe they call that peacocking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you notice I'm wearing my creative color today. I've got orange (laughs) shoes and an orange shirt. (laughs) I notice actually the love of orange is actually something I inherited from you. I I I remember a long time Uh, I used to wear a lot of orange. Orange is the creative color, which is great to bring into this space, but it's a very loud color. So if it is the space um i had a word that didn't come well i remember when i was picking fabric for this this room in particular the fabric that i found is this very very primary blue and there was a concern about it being way too loud uh, well, okay, but let's talk about before the blue was the red. You really liked red and black. And it's not that red and black aren't awesome. <laughs> but man, they are demanding of your attention or, or, or uh, they really do pull, pull a lot from you or, or push a lot at you. Right. So reds are great accents. They speak a lot in very small amounts. It's kind of like adding salt to a recipe. Your blue is a lot of blue. It's deep and it's dark and it's relaxing. I don't think I've ever seen as a relaxing a shade of primary blue. Like it's not dark blue. It's not like subtle blue. It's blue. But I think part of the thing that I like about it is that it seems to give me this feeling of speaking feeling comfortable expressing like it's it's calming but it's it's still motivating at the same time um i would compare this blue to um a sunset blue not not the sunset not when you're looking at the sunset but the other side of things when you're looking away from the sunset the deep blue sky it's not it's not nighttime it's not time to go to bed but it's not daytime. You don't have to do a lot of work. So then your mind just kind of relaxes and becomes open. I lot. like that metaphor. I mean, to mix metaphors, as you were talking about on the part one, you know, the 
the state between waking and dreaming where you're not quite asleep, but you're not all the way awake. And that's where some of the most brilliant, crazy and out of the blue ideas come from. That kind of, you know, you're not, you're not alert, you're not relaxed. You're still, you're relaxing, but you're still, you're still thinking, you're still, you're still moving, you're still creating action. You're allowing yourself to move forward, but you're not requiring yourself to be anywhere. Hmm. It's a good, it's a good space. (laughs) It's a really good space. So yeah, um, so to kind of, you know, I'm glad we kind of kept going because normally I keep these a little shorter, but I feel like I'll either bring this into a two-parter or I'll edit the best of and just kind of make it good. But I know you as a photographer first. Like that's where when I think of Nat, I think of photographer. And I know that lately it's been cool to see your evolution as a creative and know that you do music and know that you do woodworking and know that you want to do art galleries and actually as an entrepreneur I mean I was very excited about your experience in in the art store because you seem to be expressing your creativity in a whole nother way but I want to focus back in on the photography so because I know it's a big part of the struggle that you and I shared when you moved to LA was this idea of I want to be a photographer I want that to be my job So tell me about everything around that, starting from college, from trade school, and let's put like a limit on it to maybe the end of the period where you, say, right when you started getting into the business, the entertainment business and that whole thing. Okay, so (laughs) I went to photography school and I found myself surrounded by people I could relate to. It's pretty funny. It keeps reoccurring that... For you to find the people that are like you, you need to go to the places where those people are. And as simple as a concept it is, you always forget it when you're in the wrong place. <laughs> uh, you, you go why to, does my life suck? <laughs> no, I mean, why doesn't anybody understand my struggle? Why doesn't anybody have any idea? You know, like you, you work uh, day in and day out at a normal job and people are like, you know, you really need to uh, focus in on this. And this is the best life. This is awesome. This is amazing. But like when you're not getting sleep and when everybody's angry and you do the same thing over and over, you're like, is this where I should be? Because all the voices are telling me the same thing. They're all saying, you have really good health insurance. (laughs) (laughs) You've got benefits. Yeah. You could be here for 20 years and retire. Yeah. They're like... I've been doing this for a very long time and this is really good and I only have to do it for 10 more years. And I think to myself, 10 years is a long time. I only have to do it for 20 more. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then you go and hang out where creatives are and it makes more sense that you are doing um, something that other people relate to. So I went to photography school and I was hanging out with a bunch of photo students and we were going through different classes, getting through technical aspects of photography. And, you know, like when they said, do you want to come to the school? You know, you're going to be doing this for 40 hours a week. And you're like, okay, cool. Hands-on things help my brain work better. So you're there, you're photographing, you're learning all the different aspects of it. And I would say the biggest disadvantage I learned from photo school is too much. I learned too much. Hmm. So 
the problem for that would not necessarily be that the information is bad. It's that you lose direction when you have too wide of a scope. Right. So there's the ebb and flow, there's the expansion and there's the contraction. Once you've learned everything, you got to come back in and hone on what it is and what direction you want to go. So, Right. Well, they say that the beginner's mind is to the beginner options are many, to the expert options are few. <laughs> Uh, I've not heard that, but that's good. I think it's Zen something. I don't <laughs> Confucius doesn't say. Uh, it's not Confucius, but yeah, Confucius say. <laughs> uh, Confucius may say, but all disciples write down. Uh, <laughs> um, they, they do say that when you're not thinking about it is when the greatest wisdom comes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when your technical prowess has been around long enough for you to not think about it. Yeah, I often say like for singers, it's about learning the song well enough to forget it. Right. So that you come in like it's the first time you sang it. Right, which as a student, you're like, they keep telling me I'm not technical enough. And then they say I'm not emotive enough. Well, which is it? (laughs) (laughs) And the answer is both, right? So I go through photography school And I'm surrounded by a whole bunch of people who are just amazing artists and amazing photographers. And uh, I keep finding myself challenged. And I think that's the part of being in a trade school or being around artists that I love is being pushed to be better. And the thing that I kind of realized was it was my drive to be somewhere new, to experience something new, to get out there and even be a little crazy, a little off the wall that kind of brought me towards stunts. I hired your dad to shoot some photos of the snowboarder in the studio. And after that, he started inviting me to different sets and cars crashing and people falling off of buildings and explosions (laughs) were just normal. And after you did enough of them, you're like, wow, this is really cool. Wouldn't it be great if I could make a living doing this? And the answer is you probably can. The timing may have been wrong or my direction may have been wrong. So so just to fill in the blanks, like you were finishing photography school. You're saying, how am I going to apply this to making money? And you fall into meeting my dad and going into the world of motion picture stunts and explosions and action and coolness. And you decide, I'd like to take photos on set. Right. I, you know, I don't really care about the drama. I don't like the actors talking back and forth. It may be intimate. It may be the story. And it may be the reason why stunts exist, because the action has to be caused by something. But when you're there on set, you know, there's a car going to be crashing out of a warehouse. But you don't get to see the car until it comes out of the warehouse. So we're back to that idea of capturing the moment with the geese, right? Like they're flying overhead and it's like <laughs> you're waiting for this. And with that one just well, happened out of uh, nowhere, but no, this okay. one you're anticipating. N- no, okay. Yeah, you're anticipating this moment, but you're like, this doesn't make sense. And and for those of you who are new to photography, you're like, well, why don't you just hit the button and let it shoot continuously? Okay, so I had a state-of-the-art camera when I first started doing this, and it shot three frames a second. That's really, really fast for digital at the time. Um, one, two, three. One, let's see, one one thousand. So it'd be one, two, three, two, two, three, three, two, three, four, two, three. Click, 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 
No, wait. One, two, three. Right. Okay. So when an explosion is happening, um, I don't know if you've ever been near to fire or if uh, a glass has ever broken. Or motion of any kind. M- motion of any kind, right. If you've tripped in the, the water in The best a example I could give for splashes. non-photographers would be kids doing something really cute. You get out camera, they stop. <laughs> <laughs> right. The moment is not where the frame is. So your knowledge of the moment becomes more important than the camera. You can aim it in the right direction, but can you click it at the right time? And the answer is, with the older equipment, you couldn't. I would even argue that a lot of the equipment today, you still can't, but you can get way closer so people think that you do. Until we're talking about high-speed photography, you know, like Planet Earth with the sharks. That's really amazing, but also a lot of information to keep up on. They have whole technical departments. Right. Yeah, whole technical departments to actually accomplish this. And the amount of lighting and power and all of that is just a whole different other ballgame. So the moment that you need to anticipate is when the car comes out of the building. But the car crashing outside of the building, okay, what do you need to know to be able to uh, get that moment? And the answer is... Oh, well, I'm going to be driving the car about 35 miles an hour. And uh, probably the only thing you're going to hear is a da-dun when I transfer from the floor of the warehouse onto the ramp. And you're like, okay, got, <laughs> got it. And you're like, 35 miles an hour, how fast is that? And you look left to right and you're like, okay, car traveling 35 miles an hour. Boom. And you do it again, boom. And you're like, um, okay, boom. So you're looking where the ramp is supposed to be, right? You're looking at a wall, through a wall. You're saying, okay, boom, da-dun, boom, da-dun, boom, click. You're like, man, I hope that's the moment. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, like the effects department are going to blow the window and there's going to be an explosion and they're probably inside the warehouse. So they don't need to see the picture. They just need to anticipate and see when the car is going to hit the glass so that they can blow everything at the right time. And a lot of times it's like crash, boom, right? <laughs> because the guys also got to time it. The effects guys got to hit the little tick button thing, you know, the little like con- contact lead and it's got to, and the explosion takes time to come out the window. So sometimes it's like the car's long gone and then it's the explosion. So you get the car right. and the glass, but you don't get the explosion because right. it's, yeah. So it's not just you who's got to time it right. It's right. It's everybody. A that concert. Needs, it's a concert of people timing stuff, right? Yes. So <laughs> you knowing the people who are part of that concert is also you knowing what the timing is. Right. Because the stunt guy that was running that was Eddie Braun. And for, Famous the, stunt guy. for those of you who know Eddie Braun, uh, he's... Eddie Braun got me my SAG card, <laughs> believe it or not. Oh, wow. Okay. I am eternally grateful. Uh, yeah. Um, he's crashed a few cars in his day. So he's not antsy he's not uh um he's not gonna overdo specifically but he does overdo the right amount give or take he plays it up but he does he's not nervous he's not nervous thank you that's the one yeah so when he says he's gonna go 35 he's probably gonna go 37 
Yeah. <laughs> just just for that little extra oomph. Right. Um so da dum crash click. The Boom. Mo- the, the, <laughs> b- yeah, but you're right. The 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 well and see, hopefully now that I've clicked, now I'll hold down the 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 shutter. The shutter. Now I'll hold down the shutter and let it do the continuous uh uh frames. But up until that point, it would probably is gonna miss that moment. Learning your subject matter really does help you anticipate. And I just love those moments. Yeah. So you found that you were very, you, you kind of found this unanticipated thing you fell into. And you're out of Brooks. So you moved from Washington and went to college in Santa Barbara. Oh, life must be rough. And uh, then you moved. <laughs> S- Santa Barbara is moved, a lovely place. Then you moved to LA. And I remember when you were living in Koreatown. In a cockroach infested little, like, it was a cool loft, but it was cockroach infested, man. It was like in the the hood. I know, life must be rough. (laughs) But yeah, so you moved out to LA and it's kind of culture shock for you, right? Um... I mean, all of a sudden you're in the you're in the industry and you're dealing with people who I, are. I wouldn't even just say culture shock. I mean, everybody that comes to L.A. is not ready for the traffic. Uh, well, you were also you lived on a farm, and well, yeah, but I all but then I also went to Santa Barbara, where it's beaches and a college town, and it's just a moderate climate. And L.A. gets hot and it gets cold, and there's some clean places and there's some dirty places, and I think. Really, the biggest culture shock was not all the bustling. I mean, you, you know, probably the fire trucks going all all the time and the clash between the Korean people and the Mexican people with their music and, and whatever else may be something uh, to take note of. But I went from photographing 40 hours a week with friends and having barbecues to me hanging out with stunt guys for a day or two days and then wanting to do something and calling people and then waiting a week or two or a month. And you're like, well, how am I able to do this? I really want to do this. So now we're not just waiting for a moment of a crashing car. We're waiting for the idea of the crashing car to be a moment (laughs) you're waiting for that call of something to actually happen and so i think the real culture shock is what do you fill up time with when you don't actually make money waiting for the phone call that's definitely um i know not a lot of people have the experience of being in the movie business but for anyone who's ever worked extra or actors or even in production and some capacity it's almost like the circus life um i would also compare it to emergency personnel responders responders. yeah absolutely because you are you're waiting for you're waiting for the action to happen and it's like you can't i mean i grew up in the movie business so i was a little bit more native to it but what i've kind of learned deprogramming myself coming out of it is that you really can't plan anything ever because you're waiting for something really cool you're waiting for the phone to ring you're waiting not only for money like this big job that could pay off all your credit cards but also you're waiting for something exciting to come and maybe say okay you know for six weeks you're going to go to iceland and all the plane tickets are going to be paid we're going to put you up in a four-star hotel and all of a sudden you know the the wedding that your friend was going to have you be in uh shoot man what do you do (laughs) yeah you turn you turn down the wedding for the weekend 
uh, so that you can go on a six month job or you go to the wedding and then and, you're poor and then you're poor. So hopefully you've worked enough that people really, really want you on the job. So you can say, I'm going to go to the wedding and then I'm going to fly out if that still works. But that's not how it works when you're starting. out. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not how it works when you're starting out. No. Yeah. Okay, so then you do some photography gigs, and I'm going long-winded with this on purpose because I feel like this podcast is going to be a roadmap for some people, even in not the photography, even in not the film business, even in not. There are certain things that sort of hold true across all idioms. And so tell me about what you had to do to get into the photographer's union. (laughs) <laughs> and and to hold nothing back. Okay, so I didn't get into the photographer's union. I had my days to join Local 600. Um, but I was poor at the time. I was really broke. Um, broke is probably the wrong word for it. I was in debt. I had spent a long time building contacts, doing production days for different low-budget movies. And I had built up enough days, you got to get 100 days within three years to be able to apply. And then if you don't apply with those days quick enough, those days start falling away. So I had those days, but at the same time, I'd been set dressing, doing set decoration, working for different production designers and working for different decorators. And I had built up my days and... I had joined the set dressing union on the way to becoming uh, in the photographer union. So sort of like your side thing. And then you, you were making so much money at that, that you joined that union. And then all of a sudden you had the ability to join the photographer's union, but no money. No time. This is, this is the interesting thing that the film industry have is a feast and famine. You know, you've got to find your own balance uh, within this topsy turvy world. And when you go from starving your modus operandi, your direct path past starving is to eat too much. Hmm. So then I move into set dressing and I'm working 85 hour weeks. I don't have energy to get off the bed on Sunday other than to do bills and laundry which means Monday morning, you're waking up at 6 a.m. Friday (laughs) evening, you're going to work. So you work into Saturday morning, 9, 10, and then come Monday, you do it again. And you're like, yes, I made it. I am successful. (laughs) I don't have a life. I don't have the ability to hang out with people that I like, work is consuming me. And so then you start thinking about it. But, you know, like this was still new and and, and um, I think I was in the uh, second stage, the utter confusion. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the five stages of movie production, by the way. <laughs> seven, seven stages. Seven stages. Uh, yeah. Uh, I believe the sixth and seventh stage are uh, promotion of the incompetent and distribution of T-shirts. Um, I've gotten several T-shirts, yeah. <laughs> Um, but you know, like during that phase, uh, I actually kind of realized that, um, what I wanted was set hours. I wanted some predictability within, within life so that you can actually plan your outings. And so you can actually plan when you hang out with friends. 
and the photography within the film industry, a lot of it is called last minute, very much like stunts are. And hey, we need a photographer. We, we have someone cool coming. Right. So I'm not working every day of the production. I'm working specific days and for short hours. So I may make more in the amount of time that I work, but I work less amount of time. So the the balance of it is kind of funny. And then, you know, like you go to photography school, they're like, own your photos. And you go into the film industry and they're like, those photos belong to us. <laughs> in perpetuity, in all territories, including throughout the known universe and any unknown universes and any medium now discovered or invented in the future. Which I'm surprised that they have not made my physical likeness and made puppets and shows just based on my voices and all the voices well, of all the people. Well, that's because you're not an actor. The no, actors, they're but signing I these contracts. No, I still sign through perpetuity throughout the universe. I signed my rights away to myself so many times over. I feel like there's many production studios that own houses in my name. I feel like <laughs> I feel like I signed my name enough. Speaking of, you know, you may not want to talk about this, but I'm trying to get you to talk about the job you had to take to get your onset photographer days. Who did you work for? You can be vague or specific, but I think you can paint the picture and it's going to be very entertaining. Oh, wow. You want to talk about asylum? I do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. From the people who bought you Sharknado. Oh, man. you Which got... is actually one of their gems. Yeah. From a, the people who bought... A cult classic. Invasion of the pod people. Of taking advantage of people. Uh, there may be friendly people about that, but they take advantage of people who are coming to town. The advantage of that company is you have never worked in sets before and you can go and work for sets. And then after you've worked there, you say, okay, so I'm worth more than this. And they say, have a nice day. Well, it reminds me, <laughs> the, the loses analogy I can think of is like a puppy farm. They're like a puppy farm for new industry talent. They're They're more legit than a student film because they have funding but they know how much they're gonna spend and what they're not gonna spend and they make knockoff c movies of b, of b movies the the point is not uh the content the point is the amount of time um uh, uh and wow <laughs> times are really changed um uh, you may still see uh, some of their work on um netflix and on the sci-fi channel but back in the day they made their money by getting uh, what three hundred thousand or one hundred fifty thousand for a production, Dollars. if yeah, uh, if if they made a ninety-minute movie, because the outside walls of Blockbuster and Hollywood Video needed new content, so they would make a cover that looked like your favorite movie, and you would rent it, and until you got home and plugged it in, did you realize? This is not the War of the Worlds that I meant to rent. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked on some great movies like Transmorphers and uh, <laughs> Pod People. Um, uh, I Am Legend. Nope, not that one. I Am Omega. That's the right one. Um, <laughs> and what you find out is after I worked, what, uh, uh, 10 or 15 of those movies, now they had my name and they started attaching me to a whole bunch of movies that I did not work on because uh, the legitimacy of a movie a lot of times is connected to how long the credits are. Oh, wow. 
So they would steal your name and put it in movies and projects that you didn't work on just so that they could look more legit. Yes. Um. <laughs> now, if you've ever made a short yourself, you know, like you have this great big closing and you have this big open uh, 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 set at the end of your a movie where you want to play this three minute song or a 30 second song. 30 seconds is a lot of names. <laughs> or a very slow crawl of credits. <laughs> I remember I just used to like in my student films, I used to just credit myself multiple times because I was wearing a lot of hats. I, Visual I, effects coordinator. I, right. And, and, <laughs> producer. And, and co-writer. And I and I believe composer. And I believe the the state PA. Of, <laughs> of a bad production is when you wear five hats. Four hats is fine. Five is too many. I believe it's writer, director, producer, uh, financier, and uh, actor. Oh, and now we're into the now we're into the artist movie. If you do all of these, the disaster artist, <laughs> it is going to be a bad movie. <laughs> oh my goodness! I can't tell you how many times I heard you tell the story of that movie. Before they ever did the movie about the movie, like, I, I hate knew all that about movie. I've never seen that movie, but I know all about it because you've told it at so many parties before James Franco ever did it. I'm pretty uh, sure that you may be responsible for James Franco hearing about it indirectly. I, I, but see, here's the thing: is that I was never a fan of that movie. I have friends who are um, artists, who are are highbrow and 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 really are picky about the movies that they love and they love this movie so much because of how horrible it is and this movie is so horrible it's not even good <laughs> uh now i do like bad movies and i think uh, viking sagas uh, 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 uh army of the dead or no army of darkness army of darkness y yeah My dad the, worked on that yeah there's there are quality bad movies i remember being on the set of army of darkness um i believe that the disaster artist is probably the good version of the bad movie which is probably the one to see but um i have i have not as of yet Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because the, the, the people that you and I have met being in the peripheries of the entertainment industry is highly entertaining to people not in the entertainment industry. And yet there is no context. There's no way to talk about what it is that you have done or that you've come in contact with. But what I would say the relation to other people's experiences would be there are moments in time where you have opportunities. There are points in time where opportunity is staring you in the face and saying, I'm an opportunity. And the question is, is it an opportunity for you? And are you ready? Once you realize that opportunities do knock more than once, or in different faces. Or in different faces. Now, the same opportunities may not knock again. So if it is an opportunity that you really, really want, you've got to do some legwork and figure out what it is that you need to do to be ready for that opportunity and to figure out how you can be creative enough to be in the right space, f to be the right person for that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I would be remiss if I didn't take this back to where I was really hoping we could go. So 
You said you like tangents. You had this exciting <laughs> life in the movie business and it became really stressful. At what point, I would say I'd say it this way, at what point did you realize that you had become a photographer? <laughs> uh, that was about a month ago. I was prepping for the art store uh, up at the Tulip Festival. And uh, I send out this email to get a bunch of artists. And one of the artists says, wow, I love your pictures. I can't wait to see them in person. And I thought to myself, me too. Uh Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I better get my pictures printed. So I go into a, a lab and I, uh, I talk to him. Uh, um, you know, I've been working, what, 60, 80 hour weeks and I don't have a darkroom set up. So I am not practiced in the darkroom. And so I thought, well, I should hire somebody who's been spending time. And um, the guy that I hired works at Icon. He's been working in the darkroom for 30 years and we work together to pull the pictures together. And he's really got a good concept of what papers and what processes to bring to the photos. And I'm bringing negatives in and and, uh, and picking out a couple of the ones that I want to actually showcase. And um, I go in and take a peek at some of the strips, some of the test strips. And it sinks in. You're like, oh, these are nice photos. I haven't seen my photos on fiber-based paper in 15 years. Oh my goodness, I should do more of these. And then as we do more, he's like, you know, I really like your photos. I really like your work. You're like, I really like your work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As I showed them to different artists, they were like, are these for sale? And you're like, um, they are now. <laughs> no, they're not ready. They're not ready. The pr- the prints are there and are amazing. But this is what I learned the previous round is people may be pushing you to get out there. The line from Ender's Game that I like to use is you don't go when you're ready. You go when you're ready enough. And I feel that that is, is true in a lot of other elements. Having an income source that doesn't require you to rush your art is sometimes a good thing. Thank you. Um, yeah, I've been kind of trying to preach that to others in my life as well. Yeah, um, it's also something that Road Trip Nation preaches is skills pay bills. Get yourself a job that you don't hate and that doesn't take all of your time so you are able to still create. Because yeah. if you believe in your creativity and you believe in your work, it will come out. And the reason that my prints are not for sale, they will be in August. I have an art show is because they're going to be mounted on slabs of wood. They are going to be beautiful. Um, I can already see how it's coming together. I just have to spend the time with the tools. And I, I have personally witnessed your transformation from overworked, stuck, like I have to do 85 hours a week to, hey, I have... 
photos that I didn't realize I've been taking for the last 20 years. <laughs> and I actually have a gallery. Like, I have a whole body of work. I thought when I came out of school, it was all these things I was going to have to shoot. But because I was shooting but, throughout this time, they, there's this thread that pulls through. I remember the, the moment where you were showing me these prints and you were telling me about your gallery. And it wasn't like this, one day I would like to have a gallery. It was the beginnings of... I actually could do this. I actually have a gallery. And 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 the funny part about it is is this was the thing that I was always doing for me. It had nothing to do with anybody else. It wasn't something that um I was planning on ever putting out. It, but but uh once I realized and I did take uh, a summer off and travel around and shooting more pictures really does help expand what your gallery is but taking that summer trip really rounded out the work that i have to a place that it can be presented very nice well where can people find out more about what you're doing <laughs> currently instagram at silvergrain art i will be probably in uh, the skagit valley selling live edge tables and wood and soon to be a gallery in seattle I don't know the name of the gallery. That's okay. As long as people know that they can look at you on Instagram at, at @silvergrainart, I'm sure you will include the link to whatever it is your happenings are in your bio. Yeah, absolutely. And you can stay in touch with Nat, who until recently was vehemently opposed to Instagram of any kind <laughs> as a photographista. <laughs> I, uh, I still am. I still am, and I would pose that I have taken a picture of a couple of my pictures, but most of the pictures on Instagram are my iPhone. I refuse to put my work out in a way that is disrespectful to the process that I've gone through. So if you want to see Nat's one-of-a-kind gallery, you have to go there in person. So Right, or, yeah. or you need to order it so that it can hang on your wall because it is designed for your space. It is designed if you have designed your space. <laughs> Very good. Well, I think that's a good way to be. And is there an Etsy store or anywhere yet that people can buy your hats and your products? Uh, there will be a online store at silvergrainart.com. Excellent. Okay. Silvergrainart.com. And silver is a reference to photography, actually. Silver is the excited little particles that make your image uh, grain obviously is in photography, but also the wood grain that it will be mounted on. See, I love how Nat comes up with names for things. I was something I've actually learned from you. <laughs> My I create sound was kind of like the same approach you took to naming one of your other businesses. So definitely have had a long, fruitful, productive, artistic friendship with Nat. And we learned from each other. Very honored to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for sharing your time and your experience and your vibes. Yeah. With thank, us. thank you for having me. And it's been pretty amazing to see what this space has become. Oh, thank you. And your music, by the way. That was Nat's music. We look forward to sharing with you next time as we give you stories, tips, and tricks for your artistic life here at the Language of Creativity podcast. You know, we're a brand new podcast, and brand new podcasts need new subscribers. One of the things that helps attract new subscribers is your review. If you're enjoying my conversations with creatives from all walks of life, consider leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. 
You can also engage with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Connect with other listeners or request special guests. Be sure to catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and we're always grateful if you share with a friend. This is the Language of Creativity podcast. I'm Stephen Levitt. Thanks for listening.